0: Thanks for finding Organic Matters. I I guess I'm on my green energy kick. I have been ever since the first of the year. So for this part of the show, I'm going to do a little bit more green talk. And yes, it does have a lot to do with your garden. I I kind of phased into this over 20 years of time. But I got a lot more traveling in in the last few years. And I'm more aware than ever of what's going on. Uh, Everywhere I've been, there's been climate change that they're not used to having, whether it was Australia or Costa Rica or here in Texas or out in the West Coast. I went through all those fires. It's changing, folks, and we need to to kind of get a grip on it. The global boom in wind and solar energy is just going to really get a lot bigger than it is now. From here in Texas to China, governments around the world have taken steps to increase renewable energy development dramatically as they seek to reduce emissions and, of course, protect against energy price spikes that have roiled the economy, the economics of the whole world in the last year. The International Energy Agency, here we go again, IEA, which advises governments on energy supplies that in December increased its forecast for renewable energy installations by a full 30%. That was driven in large part by a spike in the prices of natural gas and coal. This is after Russia's invasion of Ukraine made a big difference. Here you go again. Well, you can't not, not mix what's going on in the environment and politics. They're together. The IEA predicts that the world will build as much renewable energy over the next five years as it did in the previous 20 years. That's a lot. Renewables were already expanding quickly, but the global energy crisis has kicked them into an extraordinary new phase. The surge in projects is expected to reshape the world's power grids. Renewables, which include hydroelectric dams, are expected to exceed coal plants as the world's largest power source in the next two years, and by 2025 for sure. In an October report, consulting company McKinsey forecasts that renewable energy led by wind and solar power is poised to become the backbone of the world's power supply, Period. That stands to further reduce the role of the world's fossil fuel industries, including, for us folks, Texas oil and gas, which has invested tens of billions of dollars in liquefied natural gas terminals to ship American gas to power plants and industrial facilities all around the world. But it is coal that is likely to be hardest hit by the boom in renewables, which I might mention personally, I'm very glad of being actually from West Virginia that was raised in the South. I have seen the devastation coal mines and the way coal is treated, Uh, trout streams. I was fishing when I was a kid with my daddy are, are dead now. Whole mountains are gone. I'm sorry, you ha- there's a point where the, the cost of something exceeds its value. And I'm sorry, coal's time ha- has got to go. Unfortunately, in other parts of the world, China being namely the biggest one, that's going to be a long time happening. But it's got to happen the sooner the better. And yes, it takes a while for new energy technologies to take market share. Coal's market share has dropped Maybe at some point, renewables will take market share from gas when the last coal plant has closed. Coal's first in line. But that's probably at least a decade or so away. And even though right now, China is a real problem with coal, they're actually leading the way in this transformation, followed by the European Union and then us, and then finally, India. That's according to the latest studies, again, by the IEA. In the U.S., tax credits for renewable energy included in the new Inflation Reduction Act, which was just signed into law in August, are expected to increase investment, and not just in Texas and California, which have long led the matter of fact, number one in wind power right now is the state of Texas, California second, but in states such as Georgia and Louisiana, which are looking to renewables as a way to produce their own energy while reducing emissions, a win-win. In surveys with a bunch of different chemical companies I came across, they're looking for the change, believe it or not. They're saying gas is too expensive and they need to decarbonize their product for the good of the world, for the environment, and in the long run, it's actually going to be less expensive energy. If there's a problem we've got to face, it is whether nations can upgrade their power grids quickly enough to accommodate the surge in electricity from new wind and solar farms which are often far from urban centers where the electricity is mostly needed. In Europe, for instance, the timeline for building new infrastructures down the roadways in and Germany already is having to curtail its wind farms because of a lack of transmission capacity. They can make the electricity, they haven't got the infrastructure to move it around yet. But those hurdles are doing little to constrain expectations for renewable energy. In a report, the McKinsey consultants predicted that by the year 2035, renewables will account for at least 60% of all the electricity generated in the world. The report added that even that estimate could probably prove to be too low. Just three years ago, that same study, McKinsey consultant study, looked at advances made by renewable energy and asked how much faster can they grow. Well, the answer is at this time, even faster than we ever thought possible. Let me mention here for those of you that don't always listen to all portions of my show and another portion of this same show this week, I put out the facts as we know them about how fast the energy systems are putting on online batteries, which is something that has been a problem because if we make it, we can't get it there. Or when we make it and we don't need it, too much energy is happening all the time. We need a way to store it. that was going to be a long-term problem. It appears that that's that's getting solved much quicker also than was predicted just a few years ago. So if you want to hear that, it's kind of interesting. Let's break away and look at another side of this. To kind of tie it in, do you realize that all this is connected? The environment and our what lives and what doesn't and what's happening to our Earth, either directly or indirectly, related to us being eight billion humans now. And the resultant force of the pollution we cause and the food we need to eat. So here's here's a switch that I try to tie in. (laughs) Salamanders, toads, tree frogs, and other amphibians are indicator species that show when pollutants threaten our local ecosystem and its health. Ecologists and environmental scientists are using a wide range of plants and animals now as indicator species, and I've talked about these for decades, to get an idea about the ecosystem's health of the streams and forests. Some of these species are tolerant of pollution, such as certain bacteria or algaes. So their presence indicates the presence of pollutants in sewage. They actually live on it. Other species are the other way around. They're intolerant of pollution, and environmental disturbance, such as mayflies and many species of fish. So their presence is an indicator of a healthy ecosystem if they're still there. While their absence, of course, indicates, hey folks, there's a problem here. One group of organisms most sensitive, and we've known this, again, for two decades or so, to environmental change appears to be the amphibians, which includes, of course, frogs, toads, and salamanders. For many years now, scientists have been noticing a severe decline in amphibians around the world. Many species have completely disappeared, I mean, total, gone extinct, folks, while others have become extremely rare or have started developing all kinds of deformities. If you want to go back and read that, it's kind of depressing. One is a number of frogs up in the Northeast now have extra legs. Think about that. As a result, amphibians have come to the forefront as indicator species. But you don't have to be a professional ecologist, folks, or an environmental scientist to help monitor this decline. You can be a part of it. You can do something as simple as keep an eye on your garden, for instance. Now, a question comes up, why is amphibians, or why are they so sensitive? One thing that makes frogs, toads, and salamanders so sensitive to the environmental indicators is their skin. Unlike reptiles, birds, and mammals, amphibians are still partially tied to water, spending at least part of their life cycle as eggs and juveniles in aquatic environments, every one of them. The eggs don't have a hard shell around them like eggs of reptiles or birds and must remain in the water or they'll be dead, they'll dry out. The juvenile forms or tadpoles breathe through gills like fish, extracting oxygen from the water. Not until they develop into adults, do amphibians possess lungs. Well, most of them, that's a long story too. (laughs) Allowing them to leave the water when needed. Even as adults, most amphibians have to keep their skin moist by staying near water or damp areas, since they, here's, here's the trick, they partially breathe through their entire skin. Matter of fact, there are a few species of salamanders called lungless salamanders because they have no lungs and depend completely on oxygen they take in through their skin. Because their skin is so porous and absorbs gases like oxygen and liquids, like water, amphibians at all stages of life are super sensitive to environmental changes, especially many types of pollution that may be in the atmosphere, the water, or the soil. So you might ask, what does all this have to do with the health of your garden? Whatever affects amphibians may also affect people because frogs, toads, and salamanders are so sensitive to pollutants and because they're so much smaller than humans, they will likely show signs of problems in your garden before it begins to be noticed or before it begins to affect you. They can serve the same function that canaries used to serve in the coal mines, for instance, years ago being more sensitive to poison gases than the humans, when the canary became sick or died, the miners knew something was wrong and they probably ought to get out of that mine. So think about it, something as simple as a little water feature in your garden. If you provide abundant habitat for amphibians and have a healthy population of them in and around your living area and your garden, that is a good indicator that you'd have a healthy environment. In other words, if they're there and you don't lose them, it's a good place for them to live. If they start disappearing or showing some of these deformities, and they are in a number of places, you might have some problems, especially with your water or your soil. It'll be a good time to take a look at your living area. And I happen to be a reptile kind of guy, but I've handled amphibians and worked with them all my life. And fascinating to have around and health. They're only an asset to a gardener. They're never, never a liability. They don't eat your plants or anything. Before I close this out, let me warn one other warning sign I learned through a friend of mine. The pH of the water that you have in your pond, or if you put it out there, uh, affects the development of eggs and tadpoles for salamanders, manners, frogs, toads, everything. Low pH and soil that is acidic is negative to them, even though they live in some pretty acidic places. We don't usually have that problem here in Texas, but they do in a lot of places. As such, it can cause toxic substances, the big one being heavy metals to dissolve more easily and be absorbed through the amphibian skin for those amphibians that stay in or near water as adults these toxins are harmful a wide variety of inexpensive and easy to use water and soil test kits for ph only are readily available i recommend if you've got a water source anywhere that you at least read what your ph is and learn about it if it's down in the fours and fives and down that way you got a problem if it's up in the beyond 7.5 or 8 you probably have a problem just for the health of your garden so it's one indicator that it's easy for you to test it's a 2 or 3 at most $5 test you can get it even at the big box stores thanks for finding me and staying in tune here on Organic Matters